I haven't met you yet. My name is Nate. This is just my second time preaching here. We've been a part of the team for about a month now, and we've just loved getting to know all of you. And then maybe some of you are joining online as well. We're so glad that you could join us. Can we also welcome those online that are watching? Yeah. Yeah, so we're continuing in a series that has been really fun uh, to get to talk about what the scriptures have to say about love and sex and dating. And today we're going to be looking at chapter four, which is going to be dealing with this topic of sex. And we're going to have some fun with it. Of course, we're going to be doing bingo uh, again. And so we're going to do something a little bit different this morning, which is that to win in bingo, you have to one, also shout it out when you get it. But we're going to aim for a double bingo this week. All right, so you have to get a double bingo, and then the winner, uh, which will be just one winner, is actually going to get a Mercy Road sweatshirt. So make sure that you keep following along as we dive into that topic. And I have to say this, I have a confession to make, that when it came to this topic of sex, this is a sermon I didn't want to preach. So what Pastor Josh did was, in the interview process, he was talking to me about different dates that I was going to be preaching, and he said, mark those on your calendar. So all right, I pulled out my calendar, wrote those down. And then after I accepted the job offer and came here, then he said, oh, by the way, the week that you're going to be preaching your second time ever is going to be dealing with sex. How about that, right? For the new guy. And so I just did not want to preach on this topic. And maybe you're like me and you grew up in the church and in church, you just don't talk about sex, right? You just don't talk about it. And whenever you do, uh, it's just a one word sermon. No, 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 no. No, don't do it. Avoid it. And by the way, that's not new with the church. Uh, There's been a history actually here with the church that goes back to even the second century where a guy by the name of Origen decided to castrate himself because he was struggling with lust. And then others after him, Benedict would throw himself into thorn bushes and roll around in it to have all this pain to avoid dealing with lust. And then other, another guy by the name of Francis, what he would do is roll around naked in the snow to feel pain from that. Or he would actually jump into an icy pond when snow wasn't available. Aren't you grateful for cold showers that we have today? Uh, something the church has become more known for is we've become more known for being anti-sex than we are about Jesus Christ. And I just think that's a mistake and that's wrong. Um, And so we're going to be talking about this topic today. And the church's silence when it comes to sex has left so many of us with so many questions. Like, what do I actually do about sex? And I thought about titling this message Naked and Afraid, which is how some of us might feel when it comes to this topic because of how we've just not been prepared by the church when it comes to this. And in fact, what what the church has chosen to be silent on the world is loud and proud about. So sex is literally everywhere in our world today. It's on TV. It's at the grocery store. It's on your phones. It is literally everywhere. And all the messages that we are getting about sex tend to be lies and tend to be destructive for our lives. And you can probably think of some people as well that you've seen just wreck their lives because of this very particular topic that we're going to be talking about today. So the enemy has used sex to bring so much destruction in our world and actually lead so many people away from God. And he knows, the enemy knows this, that he can inflict maximum damage in your life if he can destroy this one area of your life. The enemy knows he can inflict maximum damage if he can destroy this one area of your life. So the more I sat in this topic and the more I read the text, the more I prayed about it, 
I went from not wanting to preach this message to being so passionate about this topic as your pastor because I just know the potential, again, that this topic has to bring great joy to your life or to bring some of the deepest pain that you're going to be experiencing in your life. So this morning, we are going to be talking about sex, and we're going to be looking at it and just recognizing that this is an amazing gift that God has given us. It's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing gift that he has given us, and here's a truth that you can write down that God wants for us to experience joy when it comes to sex and marriage. God wants for us to experience the joy of sex and marriage because sex and marriage is an amazing gift from him. And you think about all the different ways that God could have chosen to communicate about this topic to us, like he could have given us a user's manual, for example. Anybody buy anything from Ikea lately? And it just could have been, you know, confusing, and it's maybe like black and white and just boring, like, all right, you take this part and you put it in this part and rinse and repeat, right? But he chose poetic language here for us for a reason. And I believe that if you even take a step back further, you look at just the entire creation that God, who has infinite wisdom and the ability to create anything he wanted, chose to create our world the way that it is. Because you look at mountains and you look at nature and all these things about the world that have so much beauty in them. Like you go, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you can stand there and look at it and you're just taken back in this awe of an amazing creator. That when we look at nature and everything God made, it reveals to us his beauty and what he desires for us. And it's the same thing for sex. This amazing gift that he's given us, that he's chosen poetry to talk to us about. So let's talk about sex. Pray with me. Father, we just invite you into this space. God, we just want to pause right now to acknowledge that you are already in this room, in this place right now. So what we want to do is, God, just open up our hearts, open up our minds to receive whatever you have for us. And God, I pray that you'd allow me to just step out of the way so that your words would just come through clearly. And God, we just want to acknowledge that your word is also uh, breathed by you, and it is living and active and able to transform us and to correct us and to teach us. So, God, would you do this, that in this moment? Would you just speak to us right now? We just surrender this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Reminder again, this message is PG-13, so if you need to go check your kids in, please go ahead and do that. I don't need my inbox filling up later on because of something that I said in here. So go ahead and do that, parents. You know your kids best. So open up to Song of Songs, chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be talking about sex, and this is, we're following here the story of this couple uh, who is Solomon, who's a king. He meets this Shunammite woman, and they begin to fall in love with one another. They begin to date, and then last week, we saw that they made a commitment. They got married, and now we're joining them on their wedding night, and things are about to get interesting here as we talk about it, and I just have to share the story that last night, me and my wife were laying in bed, and all of a sudden, she starts laughing out loud. And I'm like, what is going on? So I look over, and she's sitting up, and she has her Bible open. Not where you thought I was going with that story. <laughs> she has her Bible open, and I'm like, what is so funny? And she says, I'm reading the chapter that you're preaching on tomorrow. And this is just, you know, so funny. So not sure what that means, but we're going to jump in here anyways to verse 1. And there's going to be all kinds of images and things that are maybe going to seem a little bit weird or strange to us. And it's only because this letter, you have to remember, is written in an ancient time. And so this would have been very appropriate in their setting. And in verse 1, Solomon is ready to spit some game right here. He's done everything. They've gotten married. He's like, it's go time. And he is ready and prepared with some words. He is ready to spit some fire. All right? All right? Let's jump in. So he hits her with this. 
Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. And your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes from from Gilead. Yeah, how about that, right, for some words? Uh, By the way, veil here, the veil is a ceremonial. It's a wedding uh, veil that she has. And I just want to point out that this is the only item of clothing that you will hear mentioned in this chapter. So take it for what it is. And the flock of goats here that is talking about leaping down from Gilead would have been this uh, slope or chain of mountains that you read about. It actually comes up in scripture, scripture quite a bit. And it has the idea that when these goats would be running down the side of this mountain, just the image that it would create. So he's talking about here, she's got some dark, wavy, beautiful hair. And by the way, she has let down her hair because they've done everything the right way. And so she can now relax and just communicate that she's ready for whatever is about to happen. We move on to verse 2. And your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. What is he saying? Her teeth are white, and by the way, all of them are there. (laughs) So as a biblical mandate, if you're going to marry somebody as your pastor, I just want to communicate to you from God's word to make sure that they have proper dental hygiene, to make sure that they have all their teeth. It's right here in Scripture. And he goes on, verse 3, and your lips or like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely, and your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. There's the veil again, and what's happening here is he's just taking his time. He's working his way, noticing all these different features on her face, and her cheeks are like pomegranate, which would be red, which means that she's blushing and responding here to that, and he hits her with some more romantic words in verse 4. And your neck, your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone, and on it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. What is he talking about here? The Tower of David is just this building that if you look up, you can see a picture of, and sometimes on it, these soldiers would go and hang their shields on there. So maybe she's adorned her neck with some jewelry here, and he's saying, man, your neck is long, it is strong, and it is beautiful, right? But it also here, even in a deeper way, is just showing that she is standing tall, she is standing confident, because that's what happens when you do everything the way that they have. They can walk into this moment, and there's no shame. They are unashamed in front of one another. So she's standing tall and confident, and it gets more interesting. He's working his way down here again in verse 5. And your two breasts are like two fawns. Twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. And then he goes on to say this. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. What does he mean by that? Until the day breathes. He's got in the background some smooth music going on. He's turned on a little bit of ACDC. You shook me all night long. And he's like, I'm ready to get down all night long. That's what he's talking about here. Until the day breathes. Right. So he's just... He's expressing here his intent, and he's pursuing her and talking about this. And verse 7, you are altogether beautiful, my love, and there is no flaw in you. I just want to pause here for a second. That as you hear just these words that he's expressing to his bride, and he's saying here, there is no flaw in you. That in his mind, in Solomon's mind, when he looks at his bride, she is the ultimate standard of perfection. So I just want to ask you this. If you are married in here, is this the same way that you look at your spouse? That they are the ultimate standard that you look at them and you're like, man, there is no flaw in you. Because what can happen is you can meet somebody and you get attracted, you fall in love and they are irresistible to you. And then you get married, get together, and then you begin to notice 
imperfections in them that we all have, by the way. And those things can sometimes begin to just take away from the attraction that you feel to them. And he's just saying here that when he looks at his bride, she is the ultimate standard of beauty and perfection to him. So is that the same way that you look at your spouse? And just to recognize this, that the person that you married is now your standard and what you're into. The person that you married is now your standard, what you're into. And comparison, guys, comparison is a deadly game. Comparison is a deadly game that will rob you away of the attraction and the joy and the love that you were meant to experience in your marriage. So guess what? If you married a tall blonde, you're into tall blondes now. If you married a brunette, then guess what? Now brunette is the ultimate standard for you. That's what Solomon is saying here, that she is the standard for him in verse 8. He says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinar and Ermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. And what he's saying here is that, man, I am committed to you and I'm inviting you to take you with me. So it's an invitation and a commitment. And he goes on in verse 9. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. Okay, time out. What, what just happened here? Okay. There's nothing weird going on here. So before you go on singing Sweet Home Alabama, that's not what's going on here. When he says, my sister, it's just a term of endearment that he's just saying, man, we are close. Uh, we are super close. And there's just this intimacy and friendship that we share together with his bride. So you've captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel from your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils? She's got some essential oils going on here, a little diffuser action in the corner. And the fragrance of your oils and any spices. And then it gets a little bit more interesting right here. Things are heating up. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. And honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. So uh, he's doing a little bit of exploring under the tongue right here, right? And you know where else that term honey and milk show up in? In the Old Testament, when God is talking to his uh, children, the nation of Israel, about the promised land that they're supposed to go to. It's a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And so what Solomon is doing here, again, remember, he is very smooth as he's saying, baby, you are my promised land, baby. That's what he's saying here. That, and there's a little bit of kissing going on here, uh, a little bit more uh, action happening. And I just want to point this out, that this was clearly written before the nation of France ever was created or even existed. So when you're kissing somebody in this way, when you're kissing your spouse in this way, you're not French kissing them. Solomon actually invented this. So you're actually Solomon kissing them is what you need to realize from the scriptures here. And that's straight from scripture, not from me. So just remember that next time you're kissing, that you are Solomon kissing. And I find it interesting that Solomon is taking so much time to walk through 11 different verses to teach us this, that when it comes to enjoying this gift of sex and marriage, that you need to celebrate your differences. When it comes to enjoying the gift of sex and marriage, you need to celebrate your differences. What they are responding to here in this moment is completely different, right? Like Solomon is using words and he's encouraging her and he's building her up. Like he didn't just walk in and go, all right, it's go time. You want to do this, right? Like he's really taken his time to talk to her, to compliment her. Seven different body parts he lists here with a commentary on every single one of them. That's a man who knows his wife, who knows what she needs, and who knows to appreciate what is different about her. And so often what happens with us is that we tend to just say, well, this is what I like. 
So I'm going to do that to you and just assume that you're going to enjoy that too. And you just recognize that even men and women, I know some of these stereotypes go back and forth and just some general terms here, but men and women are wired differently. And it's important for us to recognize that. So what Solomon is doing here is he is talking to her using his words and what he is responding to is all the different visual things that he's seeing in the different parts. And, he, and it's just, it helps him to understand that men, they are different and yet they are celebrating these differences that they have. And I'm just going to be honest here with you guys and vulnerable for a second. So I'm one of these guys that takes a lot of pride in my lawn um, and people that know me will say this to you. And so what happens a lot of times, and since we moved in three and a half years ago, uh, I noticed, too, that we're the first house in the neighborhood that every single person drives by. So when we moved in, what happened was I took it upon myself. It became my mission in life to make sure that our lawn is going to be the best lawn in the neighborhood. Only problem with that is that my neighbor, three doors down, Brian, is an ex-Marine guy. He is so organized, and I think his lines might actually be a little bit straighter than mine. Um, but he and I go back and forth and we compete on like, you know, who has the best lawn. And I put a lot of time in my lawn, make sure that the lines are great, make sure to edge it and all these things. And I've got neighbors that will be driving by and they'll pull over their car like, hey, what are you doing with your lawn? Like, tell me your secret, right? You know, women talk about their skincare and beauty routines. Us guys, we talk about our lawn. That's what we do. And so all these guys are just like complimenting me. Your lawn is awesome, man. That's, that's the best lawn in the neighborhood. And I'm feeling like, yeah. Yeah, I'm the lawn beast, right? I feel pretty good about that, feeling pretty irresistible. And then I'll, you know, get done spending hours out there, whatever I do, go inside the house to my wife, Shana, and then uh, I get met with some resistance. And it just blows my mind, like, how can this be? Like, has she not seen the lawn and how amazing that is? Does she know that I am the lawn beast in this neighborhood? I mean, what's going on here, woman, right? And all these things that I do, meanwhile, there's maybe a pile of dirty dishes. The laundry is overflowing. We've got three kids that she's been juggling and trying to take care of. And if I would just maybe spend less time on my lawn and come inside and actually offer to help her and do the dishes and take care of the kids, maybe I volunteer to make dinner and all these things, things would just go a lot better for me. You guys know what I'm talking about here? So is there maybe an area in your life right now where you haven't taken the time to actually get to know your spouse and what it is for them that serves them the best? What maybe helps get them in the mood? Is this something that you guys have maybe talked about? Like, hey, like, how can I say so you can begin to appreciate just the differences in your relationship, in your marriage? And by the way, some of these differences can also change as time goes on. Like maybe what your spouse might appreciate that might serve them the best when you're newly married is not what's going to serve them the best when you have kids. Is not what's going to serve them the best after the kids have moved out of the house. So just commit yourself to becoming a lifelong learner and student of who your spouse is. And just recognize that one of the ways that you're going to serve God is going to be by serving your spouse in marriage. One of the ways you're going to serve God is going to be by serving your spouse in marriage. So just celebrate that God created them differently and commit to, uh, to, to serving them the best way that you can. And then number two, commit to honor God. Commit to honor God. If you want to enjoy this amazing gift of sex and marriage, you need to commit to honor God. Look at verse 12. Solomon goes on to say, A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. And so it has here this idea, when it's talking about the garden here, it's a euphemism or a symbol for her body. 
or for their lovemaking together. And so he's talking about this precious gift, this sacred space that they have and that it is guarded. It is locked because they've committed themselves to honoring God in this area. And it's talking here about her purity and the exclusivity of their relationship. Um, what they've done is they've actually saved themselves from marriage. And as we read about earlier on in the book that they were tempted to awaken love. And they said, do not awaken love. So they guarded this area, saved it for marriage because they wanted to honor God. And the message that the world sends us today when it comes to sex is this. Anything goes. Anything goes. Have sex with whoever However, whenever, wherever you want to, and you and I just need to recognize that when you read the scriptures, like God was the one that created sex and came up with this whole idea, that the best way that we're going to enjoy this amazing gift is going to be to do it his way. So we need to commit to honor God in this way. So I just want to talk to those of you maybe that are single for a second. You're single, and I know some of you are called to singleness And by the way, our view on that is that if you are called to singleness, it's not some disease that you need to get rid of. You're not some second-class citizen within the church, that your singleness is an amazing advantage that God has given you to be able to serve him wholeheartedly. And that's certainly what you see in the scriptures, in the example of Paul, for example, who wrote two, two-thirds of our New Testament because he was a single guy, so he got to serve God wholeheartedly. And some of you, maybe you're in here and you're not married And you're still awaiting that season in your life. And maybe some of you have been married and now you are divorced. Just recognize this, that your sex life has a direct impact on the level of intimacy that you can experience with Jesus in your relationship with him. And this is one of the areas that if you are not careful, you can begin to give in to sin in this area. And the enemy will use that to discourage you, to draw you further away from God. And there's so many different counterfeits that the world is selling you right now when it comes to sex. There's so many different lies and counterfeits that the world is selling you. And when it comes to a counterfeit, the way that you recognize a counterfeit is by knowing what the real thing looks like. So the more you can arm yourself with truth, with the scriptures, the more you're going to be able to recognize when those counterfeits begin to come into your life and just say, nope, that's not from God. That's not what he desires for me. And begin to just make yourself familiar with what do the scriptures actually teach about counterfeit. Guys, don't settle for a counterfeit. Choose to honor God in this area in your life. And I find it interesting that when you go to the store or the market or somewhere, And you use cash to pay for something, which nobody does anymore. When you pay with a $100 bill, do you know that that's the only bill that they actually check to make sure if it's a counterfeit? Because they recognize the value of that dollar bill, that it is more valuable than any other bill that you're going to use. Can I just encourage you to maybe treat your sex life in the same way? Just to say that, man, this thing that I have that God has given me is such a precious gift that I'm just going to commit myself to honor him in this area and just recognize that. The best way that you're going to enjoy that is going to be when you honor God. And maybe for those of us that are married in the room, like we talk a lot about don't have sex and save yourself from marriage, but nobody talks about when I do get married, actually, what do I get to do in marriage? Like what is okay? How do I enjoy this gift? So I want to give you maybe some guidelines for how you can enjoy this gift within marriage. If you're taking notes, number one would be this. How do I honor God and enjoy this gift? Number one, what does scripture say about it? Is there anything about what you do in your sex life that scripture maybe speaks out against or encourages what the scriptures say about it? Number two, is it loving and selfless? You'll just realize that the message for sex when it comes to what the culture is telling us is you take, 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 be selfish, 
take what you want, do whatever feels best to you. And Jesus just over and over again in the scriptures teaches us that when it comes to marriage as a relationship as a whole, you come into marriage and it is better to give than it is to receive and it is better to serve than to be served. So is there something about what I'm getting ready to do in my sex life that is maybe not loving and selfless of me? Is there maybe something here that I'm wanting to do that maybe my spouse, because of whether they're past or comfort level or whatever it is, it makes them uncomfortable and the loving thing for me to do would be to serve them in this area. So recognize this too, that one of the ways that you're going to serve God is going to be through serving your spouse and your, and if you are somebody's spouse in here, you are the only legitimate person that they can fulfill this need in their life with. You're the only legitimate person that they can fulfill this need with. And so are you taking on the attitude of a servant and committing to serving God and honoring God in this way? And then number three, does it honor my spouse as an image bearer and as a child of God? Does it honor my spouse? Recognize that the person that you married is a son or is a daughter of God, and you need to treat them as the same way. So we're just going to do everything in marriage in a way that is going to honor them. And if you do all these things, what it'll help you to do is to cultivate a, a, a healthy sexual environment. Look at verse 13 and just the environment that they're in here in this garden that we're reading about. He says, your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choice fruits. Like, man, there's all kinds of things to enjoy here with henna, with nard, with saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes with choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. And he goes on here in verse 16 at the end of the verse, and she responds finally, and she says, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruit. So it's going to take some effort. And I just love this image of a garden that every single person in here who gardens or who takes care of your lawn, you'll just recognize it's a lot of work. Like you have to stay on top of it. You have to put in the work to make sure that you have the right soil. You have to water it. You have to deal with weeds. You have to trim. You have to prune. And all these things that it takes to create a healthy environment for your sex life to thrive. It's kind of the same idea that it's going to take some work for us to do these things. So maybe two things for you. One, physically... And this is just really practical here. I'm going to get really practical, but physically, have you created an environment in your home that can allow for your sex life to thrive? Like you read about here and what they are engaging in in this moment is literally engaging all of their different senses. There are sights and sounds and smells and all these things going on here. So have you created an environment physically in your house that can allow for you to enjoy this amazing gift that God has for you? Are there any sights or sounds or maybe smells that you need to deal with? Like you might say like, all right, I'm ready to Solomon kiss my spouse. And maybe they're not into that. And you're like, all right, we've got some problems here. But maybe it is that you just have garlic breath that you need to deal with or taco breath or whatever it is for you. So I know it's really silly, but those little things can really make a huge difference and impact on your sex life. So are there any sights and sounds and smells that you need to address in your relationship? And then even deeper than that, have you created a healthy emotional environment in your, in your life and in your relationship? Have you created a healthy emotional environment for your sex life to thrive? Because one of the lies that we also get from the world is that sex is just a physical thing. 
So you see two strangers in a movie. They bump into each other on the streets. Next thing you know, they're making love, and they are so connected. It's so intimate, and it's rainbows and butterflies and unicorns and all these things, and it just doesn't work that way. Sex isn't just a physical thing. So it also takes the work that you put in to create this emotional connection in your marriage, in your relationship. So are there maybe things in your relationship right now that haven't been addressed that you need to talk about? Maybe it's this underlying conflict that is there underneath the surface, and it's the thing beneath the thing that nobody wants to address, but it is impacting this area in your life. So are you creating a healthy, emotional environment in your life for your sex life to thrive? And here's another lie as well that I want to address, another area that the church hasn't served us well in this, and it's this, this lie that so many of us maybe were taught, and it's this, that if I just do everything right, if I just save myself for marriage... And then I get married, boom, sex is going to be amazing. Well, not really. And those of us that are married can tell you that, that it doesn't happen that way. And certainly you want to honor God in this area. And if you save yourself for marriage, you will bring an amazing gift that you have to offer your spouse. And guess what? You'll be saving yourself from a whole lot of baggage, a whole lot of hurt. You'll be honoring God in this way. And then when you get married, guess what? It's still going to take some work on your behalf to cultivate this, and by the way, to continue to grow in this area in your life, because you just read here that there's all kinds of fruits and amazing things in this garden. So have you maybe settled for an okay sex life? Where if you were to just be honest with yourself and say, man, I'm just not putting in the effort and intentionality in this area in the way that I'm called to do, and if you were to do that, maybe commit together to working on that, to talking about it, to seeking some help that you will get to enjoy this amazing gift that God has given all of us. And just again, Colossians 3 talks about this, that the way that you serve your spouse in marriage is the same way that you're actually serving God. And so what you're doing by putting in the effort to cultivate this environment is that you are actually serving God by serving your spouse in this way. And again, this whole image of a garden really just stood out to me because one thing every single one of us will recognize is that every single garden will deal with weeds at some point. Every single garden. I don't care what you do. I do a lot of gardening like I was talking about at our house and I will put down a weed barrier and I will spray it and all these things and there's always weeds that still manage to make their way through and most likely in this area, one or both of you might be coming into it and you have a lot of past things that happened to you and your past that you're coming into this with, or maybe something's present right now, that are some of these weeds that are coming up in the garden right now of your sex life. And we need to make sure that we are people that cultivate this healthy environment and that we begin to address whatever that weed might be in your life. And for some of you in here right now, that weed that is coming up, that maybe the enemy is planting in this area in your life, is all of your past failures and mistakes that are causing you to be overcome and constantly have all this guilt and all this shame that is keeping you trapped and keeping you from enjoying this amazing gift that God has for you because of your past. It's something that you've let go of a long time ago that no longer defines you today, but the enemy in the way that only he can is continuing to bring that up over and over again. And even in your marriage right now, the enemy is planting that weed to destroy a good thing that God has for you to enjoy together as a couple. Can I just remind you that we serve a Savior who went to the cross, who shed his blood for us, 
as the author of Hebrews says, that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. But it says that Jesus went to the cross once and for all, and he cleansed you completely of every single sin, every past failure, past, present, and future. He has taken care of it. It is done. And he hung on the cross, and he said, it is finished. That whatever that wheat is from your past that is still coming up right now, The scriptures teach us in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and forgotten and you are new in Christ. Who you are in Christ, bingo. Wow, how about that for timing? (laughs) That's great. Let's give it up for him. (laughs) How about that timing? So my prayer for you, maybe today, if you're here and you're still trapped by the past, is that you would begin to today experience the freedom that comes from being forgiven, that comes from being made new, so that the enemy will no longer continue to plant this weed in your garden. You have been forgiven. You have been made new. You are a son and daughter of Christ, and that's who you are, period. And maybe for some of you in here, that weed that you have in your garden is this past pain that you are still carrying with you, this past hurt in your life that somebody wounded you or maybe hurt you in this area and can I just tell you that I am so sorry that we live in a world where sin is a real thing where evil is a real thing and that whatever they did to you that hurts you in this area is the most personal and just most intimate way that they could possibly hurt you and you continue to bear in your body today the scars or maybe the pain from it and scripture teaches us in Psalm 34 that God himself is near to the brokenhearted, and he saved those who are crushed in spirit. So maybe you might feel like because of the pain that you went through in this area, you are absolutely crushed right now, and that healing is not possible. Can I just tell you that, as one pastor says, if the grave is empty, anything is possible. If the grave is empty, anything is possible because the same power that was at work in Christ that raised him from the dead is alive and at work in us. It's the power that gives us the, it's the power that gives us the ability to forgive those who hurt us. It's the power that makes healing and wholeness possible in your life. And my prayer for you is that you would begin to experience that power today. And man, so many bingos. (laughs) And maybe for you, What you begin to believe right now is that healing is never going to be possible. This hurt in my life is always going to define me. I'm never going to be able to enjoy this gift together in marriage. And can I just tell you that all those things are alive, that healing and wholeness is possible. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of help. But God has come to make those things possible for us. As he says in his word in John 10, 10, that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. The enemy came and intended this thing in your life to harm you. But God, through his sovereignty, through his love for you, wants to make you whole and to heal you today. And we want to come alongside you and provide some help for you as well. So actually today we've got some counseling resources and a team available with you. If you want to, after service, go meet with us in this prayer room. We would love to meet with you. And maybe today is the day that you begin to experience that freedom and that wholeness and experience the life that God has for you. And then for some of you, the weed in your garden right now is maybe the lies that you're beginning to believe. Remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden that the enemy came to them and began to whisper these lies to them and began to say, well, did God really say that? Did God really say you shouldn't eat of this fruit from this tree? 
Did he really say that though? And we begin to be, believe these lies in our lives. And maybe for you right now, the lie that you're beginning to believe is that maybe there's better out there somewhere. Maybe it's this person at your job and man, he compliments me. He always has nice things to say about me. Maybe it's a woman at your work, wherever it is. And man, she loves, she, she loves all my jokes and just thinks I'm so funny, thinks I'm awesome. And you begin to believe these lies that maybe, just maybe the grass is greener on the other side. And listen, grass is the greenest where you take care of it, where you cultivate it, when you tend to it. That the marriage that God is most interested in is the marriage that you are in right now. And that when you begin to listen to some of these lies that lead you towards sin in your life, that sin will mess you up. I heard a speaker once say that when I was in college, and he just said it over and over again and stuck with me to this day that sin will mess you up. And some of you right now are flirting with sin when it comes to this area in your life. Can I just encourage you to run, not walk? The scriptures tell us to flee from sexual immorality. So can I just encourage you to run the other direction? And maybe if there's some lines that have been crossed, some boundaries that have been broken, man, to seek some help. That maybe some hard conversations that can lead to healing can happen, but don't try to do it alone. You got a whole pastoral team here, some people that would love to come alongside you. We've got an incredible marriage ministry here as well at our church and all these people that are here to help you so that you would get to enjoy this amazing gift that God has for you. He's a gracious God who loves us. He's given us this gift for us to enjoy in marriage, but the best way that we are going to enjoy it is going to be by committing to honoring him to doing it his way. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word that is just so clear. Your word that just teaches us and that can apply to so many different areas in our lives. And for every single person listening to this right now, they might find themselves in a different season, but God, you've called every single one of us to honor you in this area. And as we honor you, I just pray and ask over every single married couple in here that they would just experience your joy when it comes to their sex life and this intimacy that you intended for us that ultimately reveals to us something about your nature, your character, and the relationship between Jesus and his church. And God, I just pray that healing should happen where it needs to happen today. God, I pray that where maybe people are finding themselves trapped and bound by chains, that God, you would break chains today through the power of Jesus. God, we just pray that you'd help us to be a people that love you, that seek after you, and people that would enjoy our relationship with you. So we just pray that today, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.